Well, greetings, everybody. Good to uh, be together. Good to welcome you from wherever you might happen, happen to be taking this in, whether online. Welcome to our online audience, to our Moon Campus, to our classic venue, to our live auditorium. Glad that you are here with us. Hope you were with us last weekend on Sunday as we were out at Darlington Lake. Man, did we have a great time there. I'm still sort of riding on cloud nine when it comes to thinking about all that transpired there. We just had such a wonderful time. I hope that you were able to, to take that in, either in person or, or online. So a good time, but welcome to all of you. Glad for this time that we have together today as well. In 2017, there was a marathon held in Venice, in Italy. And it was, a, it was a great race. You can see that there are a, a lot of people who were there, but it took a bit of an unexpected turn. Actually, literally, it did. Because there was a front, group of front runners, about six of them, that were doing very well. They were out in front of everybody else. And as is usually the case in some of the bigger marathons, there's always like a car out in front of them or a motorcycle. And, and they've got a video camera there that they're telecasting some of this, that sort of thing. Well, in Venice, the, the course narrows quite a bit. And so there was the, the plan was that at mile 16, the car and the motorcycle would, would take an exit and then the, the race would continue on. And the cars did what they were supposed to do, but those group of front runners, they actually followed the cars and went off in their own way and off in the wrong place. You can see them here. They only went about 100 yards before, or 100 meters before they realized it, but then they were kind of confused and, and they turned around as quick as they could and got back to the course. But the damage had been done because there was another person who had been running behind them, couldn't catch up to them, but now he was able to and actually was able to hold on for the win. E.O. Faniel is his name. There you can see him coming across the finish line. And I think that's pretty cool, in part because if I were ever to win a marathon, that's the only way that I could do it, is if all the other people ran off in some other direction, but they'd need to go like 10 miles in the wrong direction in order for me to sneak up to the victory. But that's the way that it happened there in Venice. There was this parting of the way. Some people went the wrong way, some people went the right way, and the outcome of the race was was determined based on the path that they ended up taking. Well, today we're going to be thinking about a similar sort of parting of the ways, where some people, depending on which direction we happen to go and to choose, it's going to make a world of difference in what the outcome of our spiritual race is as well. That's what we're going to see as we dig into the text we're looking at today, which is Psalm 1. Psalm 1, and I'd invite you to go ahead and start to open your way up. Psalms is kind of right about in the middle of the Bible. If you're just to flop it open, maybe a little bit toward the left of that, if you're not that familiar, or you can always go to the table of contents and find your way there if you have an actual Bible, or you can just search it if you're using your phone. But uh, Psalm 1 is where you're going to be. It, it seems like a pretty, pretty appropriate psalm to start with because we're actually beginning a brand new sermon series today where we're going to be looking at some psalms. It's a, it's a series through the psalms, and uh, we're going to call the series Psalms a Soundtrack for Our Lives. Psalms a Soundtrack for Our Lives. And we're going to take a look at several over the course of the next several weeks that we have together. Now, the psalms are sometimes called the Songbook of Israel. 
And that's because they were used as a songbook, essentially. They were, they were lyrics, they were poems that the people would take and they would set to music and they, they would sing them in their gatherings and in, and in the temple and in their own individual worship time. They would use the psalms as songs that were to be sung. We do the same thing today. In fact, many of the songs that we sing in worship are actually psalms that we've taken and we have set them to music. And there are a variety of different types of songs when you come to the literary nature of what they are. There are some psalms that are praise psalms, and maybe as you think of the psalms, that's something that normally comes to your mind. There's a lot of praise that's found there, and there is, but that's not it. There are thanksgiving psalms, there are lament psalms, there are imprecatory psalms, if you've never heard that word before. Imprecatory psalms are basically where the psalmist is calling down God's wrath and judgment on some people. Maybe you didn't know that there was such a thing as imprecatory. Maybe you didn't know that you could pray imprecatory prayers. That, that might transform some of your prayer life, knowing that you could do that for, and on people. It's like, like, Lord, please smite country music artists. You know, it, it could be any prayers, any of a number of things. It might transform it for you. Well, today we are starting with one. It's a different nature. It's not praise or thanksgiving or lament or imprecatory. It's actually what's known as a wisdom psalm. A wisdom psalm is just one that gives you some wisdom in how you're to live your life. It tells you the right way to go, the wrong way to go. We're thinking today about a parting of the ways, and this first psalm really helps us to see two different divergent paths, and we're going to Take a look at that as we make our way through this. Now, before we actually dig into the detail of Psalm 1, I just want to give you a little bit more information, a little more instruction on what the Psalms are and what are, what, what are some of the, the characteristics of the book of Psalms, just to kind of lay a foundation for us. Well, the, the book of Psalms is actually the longest of all of the books in the Bible. There are 150 different chapters in the book of Psalms, 150, that makes it the longest. The longest chapter in all of the Bible is actually in the Psalms. It's Psalm 119. It has 176 verses. We're actually going to look at Psalm 119 as a part of this series. You might want to bring a snack that day or a couple of snacks. No, it's going to be kind of a normal service. So don't worry, don't worry about well, which week is Psalm 119 because I'm not coming that week. No, you come. It's going to be just fine. All right. The shortest of all of the chapters in the Bible is also in the Psalms. It's Psalm 117. If you've ever wanted to memorize an entire chapter of the Bible, but you're not very good with memory, you might want to start in Psalm 117. Two verses. Two verses. That's it. You can do it. I know that you can if you would choose to. Well, in addition to that, there are the, one of the truths about the Psalms is that it has more authors who contributed to the Psalms than to any other book in the Bible. David is the most prolific of the Psalm writers. Seventy-three of them are attributed to David. That's about half of them, and maybe some that we don't just know exactly who wrote them. David might have written some of those also, but other people wrote Psalms. Solomon wrote Psalms. Asaph is someone who 
has written different psalms. Other people as well. Moses actually got in on the act, wrote one of the psalms himself, which helps us to understand also sort of the extent of period of time that the psalms were written over. Actually, there are psalms that are contributed into this book for us that were written across a period of time of 900 or 1,000 years. And that was all compiled together. The oldest one is from Moses. It's Psalm 90. But most of them were composed by people in David's era or in Solomon's time. So on top of that, 116 of the Psalms feature what we call superscriptions. That is, you've seen this before if you're familiar with the Psalms at all, before the actual verses start, right at the top, there are some other words in there. And those give us some information oftentimes about the Psalm. Something like, who's the author of the Psalm might be there, or something about the historical nature of the book, something about, or the chapter, something about the, the history of that, or it might have to do with the way that it was supposed to be accompanied, maybe with the zither, or with the lyre, or with an accordion or something. Uh, they have accordions? No, I don't think they had. Okay, you probably won't find any superscriptions that talk about accordions, but let me show you one of those. It kind of in, encompasses all of the different sorts of things that you find in a superscription. It comes in Psalm 57, and right at the top, it says this, for the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a mictum, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. All right, so it tells you a lot about what this psalm is, who wrote it, what's the tune you're supposed to use, and, and so on and so forth, a bit of the history as well. Most of all, though, the psalms were about God. They were about His relationship to His people and the people and the nature of where their hearts were at the time. It is very real. The psalms are real. The psalms are very raw. They tell it like it is, which is very powerful to read. Some of the psalms are sort of soaring praise. Some of the psalms are sort of depressing. They're sort of not discouraging necessarily, but they speak of debilitating doubts that that person is expressing. They re reveal victories and, and failures, but it's very much life where we live it. And that's why we're calling our series Psalms a uh, soundtrack for our lives because it speaks of who we are and how we live. And, and as we make our way through some of these Psalms, it's going to be speaking to who we are. It might be expressing your heart or your thoughts as well because this is just life as it is lived that we're going to be looking at. Now, as I said, we're going to start with Psalm 1. It's a wisdom psalm, and it just provides wisdom for the direction that we're to go if we want to experience life that is full and meaningful and, and fresh and invigorating. And it also speaks to the things that we would want to avoid if we don't want to fall into some unnecessary pitfalls and, and problems along the way. And as such, it perfectly sets the stage for the whole of the book of Psalms because basically that's what the Psalms are. They help us to understand the path that we are to travel and the path that we are to avoid. And because of that, this is very interesting to me, because of that, there are people that don't actually believe, and of course the Psalms weren't numbered the way that we have them, there are people who believe that Psalm 1 actually was never intended to be the first Psalm. That Psalm 1 instead, because of the overarching nature, because of its sort of preface nature or the introductory nature of it as it relates to the whole of the book of Psalms, some suggest that it, that's what it was. It was just an introduction that it was a preface, not intended to be the first of 
the Psalms. And that's possible. We don't know for sure. And it really doesn't matter because any way you slice it, whether it's an introduction or whether it's actually intended to be the first of the Psalms or considered as one of the Psalms, it says the same thing to us. It communicates the same truth to us. It is a beautiful start to this amazing song book. So, Psalm 1 begins very straightforward. It's a clear call to action. And that action is this. It's to embrace the way We told you there's a parting of the way to embrace the way of the blessed. That's where he starts. He starts with what is true of the blessed or what should be true of the blessed. So I'm pretty sure that all of us want to live a life of blessing. We all want to embrace the way of blessedness. But the question is, well, what does the psalmist have to say about what that should look like? Or what is characteristic of the one who would walk in the way of blessedness? Great question. Let's take a look, all right? Psalm 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. To get started here, the author tells us that the way of the blessed can be identified in part by things that we should avoid. That's what verse 1 is. It's telling us basically, don't do these things. Don't do those things things. Don't walk in step with the wicked and the sinners and and the mockers. See, oftentimes the most important spiritual choices that we make are refusing to enter into something, refusing to enter into sin, refusing to go along with some other fellow students or with some other workmates who are sort of trying to drag us off into things that might tempt us to the place where we would actually fall into the trap of whatever that might happen to B. The Apostle Paul was right when he wrote this, that bad company corrupts good character. Absolutely true. That's what the psalmist is saying. If you go and associate in bad character environments, that that is not going to be a very good outcome for us. You see, sometimes the greatest spiritual discipline is the ability to just say no. That's what the psalmist is telling us right Here, verse 1 also insightfully identifies what so often happens when it comes to the snare of sin or getting sucked in. All right, look at verse 1 again. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Do you see the progression there? This is a progression that all of us are susceptible to. When we get trapped in some sort of aberrant behavior or sin to the point where it has some sort of hold on us, it doesn't usually always happen at once. See, we don't usually go from zero to ensnared in one single step. It usually unfolds over a period of time. That's true when it comes to cheating. It's true when it comes to lying. It's true when it comes to cutting corners at work. It's true when it comes to fudging on our taxes, it's true when it comes to sexual sin, and on and on we could go. It often starts with something small or a little dabbling in that area. Then when the consequences of doing so don't outweigh our discomfort with doing so, then we continue on. Or when we get to the place where where it's not satisfying us anymore to engage at the level that we were engaged, all of a sudden we start to take another step, and we go a little bit deeper, and then a little bit deeper, and so on. And sometimes the progression is so subtle that we don't even really realize that we're getting snagged deeper and deeper and deeper into it until we're there, and now all of a sudden we're wondering what's going on. Well, the psalmist is trying to help us to recognize that. 
and to tell us and to point out for us that these are things that happen to us. So he says that oftentimes we start by walking with the sin or with the sinner. We're able to very much just kind of veer off away from it if we choose to or veer into it because we're walking, we're on the move. And that's oftentimes where it starts. And it doesn't feel like we're that sucked in because we're able to move freely one direction or another. But he says then next comes this, this point of standing. We've stopped, right? We're engaging. We're taking part. We're looking into it. We're participating more and more and more. And then he says that leads to the place of sitting as well. We're fully immersed now. We're comfortable in the environment and with the people and the activities that are going on there. First, we're walking by. We can pass by easily. Now we're stopped. We're kind of intrigued. We're starting to get very engaged. And now we've sat down and we're actually right there in the midst of it all. It doesn't mean that, that you won't possibly feel some twinge of guilt when you're in any one of those three different categories, but if we get ourselves to the place of actually sitting down, it's going to require something very intentional for us to actually get up and move our way away from where we've gotten snared and walk away. See, the closer you are to sitting in your sin, the harder it's going to be to pull away. It's not that you can't stand up. It's not that you can't break away. God's power is very much available to us there. His grace and His mercy would desire to lead us away from it, but we need to be intentional if we're going to do so. And so often we're intentional about being in the sin rather than out of the sin when we get to that point and we get snared. And some of us are in that circumstance right now where we just can't seem to extricate ourselves from the thing that just keeps drawing us in again and again and again. And it might be that we've felt like we've stood up and tried to move, but then we sort of get sucked back in. It could be that we're at that place of actually sitting down in the place of sin. We don't think that we're ever in that spot, that it just happened. And you might want to do some sort of evaluation. In fact, I challenge you to do some evaluation with the things that suck you in. Could it be that you've allowed yourself to slide to the point where now you're not walking and you're not standing in, but you're sitting in sin? It's a very natural progression that happens sometimes without us even really knowing it. To avoid getting so fully trapped, we need to be more diligent when we first recognize that we're actually walking toward the sin so that we wouldn't keep moving closer and closer to it, or stopping and ultimately sitting. So the way of the blessed does not walk or stand or sit in sin or with those who are drawing us into it. Then the psalmist goes on. He says, all right, so you want to be embracing the way of the blessed? We want that very much for you. There are some things that you should avoid, some kind of the negative thing, the things that you should stay away from. That's verse 1. He goes on, and then he says, so here are some things that you ought to pursue then. And that's where we get to when we go to verse 2. We're going to pick it up just reading in verse 1 again. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but, verse 2, here we go, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. From the perspective of the psalmist, the law of the Lord would primarily have been the Pentateuch. 
in the Old Testament. It would have been the first five books of what our modern Bible is today, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that certainly is something today that would also be something that would be good for us to, to enjoy, to celebrate, to meditate on. But I don't think that we need to take this as, okay, we should just limit it to what the psalmist had when he was writing. Instead, I believe very much so that we can take delight in all of what the Word of the Lord happens to be, which would be the whole of the Scriptures as it relates to us. Now, what we're being called to here, I think, is actually probably pretty clear to us. He says he wants us to delight in God's Word, which means to enjoy it, to celebrate it, to to spend time in it, to go and find the blessing that can be found there for us. That's what it means to delight goes on and it says to meditate on it also. That might be something that isn't quite as easy for us to get a picture of or to jump into because for, for many of us probably in this room or listening online or in one of our other spots, it's likely that for many of us we weren't encouraged in the discipline of meditation when we were growing up. In fact, it was, it's quite likely that it was treated with suspicion in the environments that you grew up in. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure there are many of you who sort of grew up in that, maybe still have some of that in your frame of mind today. But we don't need to consider meditation as something that is strange or unique or dangerous or mysterious. To meditate on God's Word really could just be understood to be thinking on it over and over and over again, to looking at a verse of Scripture from a variety of different angles, to considering what it says, what is there here to understand, and and how might I take and apply this into my life, to consider it from a variety of different vantage points, maybe to read it out of different translations of the Scriptures. In fact, I find one of the very helpful disciplines is actually to paraphrase a verse of Scripture myself and to put it into my own words because that forces me to really come to a place where I I feel that I understand what is being said right there. Certainly meditation would also involve prayer and asking that the, the Spirit of the Lord would reveal to me, would reveal to you what that verse has to say. And I would so encourage you to move down these different avenues because it will help you. If you take a verse of of the Psalms, maybe that would be the place to start because we're taking a look at the Psalms in these weeks coming up, that you would just take a verse every week and be intent on meditating on the Word of the Lord, just rolling it over and over in some of these ways we've talked about. I can promise you that that verse is going to come alive to you in a way that it doesn't if you just read through it. So the psalmist says, meditate on the word, delight in it, and meditate on it. It is something that will certainly assist us. And for the person who does that, there's a lot to look forward to. Look at verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, in the ancient Middle East, this would have been a very vivid picture for them because it was largely a hot and arid and pretty desert-like climate where they didn't get hardly any rain, which means it can be a lot harder for us to understand because we get like 452 inches a year, or so it seems at least with with the way that it's been going in, in recent days. No tree around here is going to die of thirst. The apple tree in my backyard will prove that true. It's getting plenty of water because the branches that used to be overhead 
Now, because the apples are on there and they're getting so big and there's so many, it's like down around my ankles. It's ridiculous. There's plenty of water in our context, but that's not the way that it was in the context of the people who were penning most of these psalms. It was very dry, and to see a tree that was struggling and and was dying or was dead or, or where trees just would not grow, that wasn't a big surprise to them at all. But there was an exception, and that's what the psalmist is saying. This person he's talking about is like the, the one who's experiencing the blessedness and living down the way of blessedness, is embracing the way of blessedness, is one who's like a tree planted by a stream. Because a tree by the stream can draw on the water, and the water nourishes the, the roots, and the roots grow well. And it's not just the roots, but that impacts the branches, and, and the whole, whole tree is healthy, and the leaves are, are healthy and shiny and look just the way that they do. And the fruit is produced as it should, according to the season that it should come on the scene. And what the psalmist is saying is that, that our lives spiritually should be very much the same way, that we should be nourished and watered by the Word of God. We should, we should delight in it. We should meditate on it. And as we do, as we allow it to infuse our spiritual roots, it is going to cause us to grow into the people that we need to be, that He so much desires that we would be. That's the imagery that He's giving to us here, and it's very vivid, and it's very beautiful, and it's very effective as well. This person's life is producing as it should. Verse 3 says to us, as we saw it, whatever they do prospers. Isn't that the person that you want to be? Whatever the person does who allows themselves to be infused by the Word of God, what they do prospers. It means that the trajectory of their life is going in a direction where they experience fullness and they experience completeness and they experience the blessing of the Lord on them. Now, it doesn't mean that there are never any difficulties that come their way. That's just something that is, that is a, an outcome that all of us are going to experience in some way, shape, or form just simply because it's the product of, of living in a fallen world. But what he is saying to us here is that the goodness of God is going to rest on their life as they embrace the way of the blessed as they make that their path. But here's the thing. Not everybody's on that path. There's a parting of the ways. And there are lots of people who are choosing a different path altogether. And the psalmist makes that very plain to us by making a rather abrupt change when we get to verse 4. And he says to us there, not so the wicked. Yes, the blessed, everything they do prospers. Not so the wicked. Different path. A parting of the ways. He's going to describe that for us. And another path or another call that he puts out to us is this then, to escape the way of the wicked. Yes, we should embrace the way of the blessed, but now he's saying, make sure that you work to escape the way of the wicked. Verse 4 continues, Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. This also would have been a very vivid picture in ancient times. After a crop was harvested, the grain needed to be separated from the husk. And so what they would do is they would take their crop to what was called a threshing floor, which might have looked a little something like this, a nice hard surface. Usually it would have been, this has probably been, uh, this isn't, might have been period, but uh, the things around it perhaps have grown up. Usually it would be on a high place where the wind would blow through. 
um, very strongly. And so they would put a layer of the grain here on the threshing floor. And then they would have a heavy animal or some heavy implement rolled over it so that it would crack the shell. And then they would take it and they would throw it up into the air. And then the heavier grain would just fall right back down in place on the threshing floor. But the chaff, and you can see kind of that illustrated here, the chaff, that, that husk, would be blown away and it would be gone. And that's the way that they would separate it. It's a parting of the ways as it relates to the grain. And he's saying that very much illustrates the way that it is when it comes to the parting of the ways that different people take as well. The psalmist is saying that the wicked life is a wasted life and that it has no value. He's not saying that the person has no value. Everybody has value because they're made in the image of God. But what he is saying here is that what they are producing in their life is like chaff. It's not worth anything. It should just be, be blown away because there is nothing of value that is there that is being produced in the moment and certainly not for eternity either, he's saying. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We can clearly see a parting of the ways right there that this psalm is addressing. There's a day coming when our lives are going to be weighed for how we lived and what we did and, and the relationship that we had established with the Lord Jesus. That day is coming. And those who have chosen their own way, their own righteousness, their own glory are going to be seen for who they are. They have made their choice and they're not going to be able to stand in that day of judgment. Or as they stand to the Lord to account for their life, there's going to be nothing there of value. It's going to be all chaff. It has no meaning. It's accomplished no purpose. But for those who have bowed their knee to the Lord and followed after His call, they will be blessed. That's His promise. Verse 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That's one way, that's one path. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Another description of the parting of the ways here. Now, I want to be sure that we make an appropriate response to this as we take a look at what this is saying. Obviously, clearly, it's calling us to live the way of the blessed, which gives us some things, if we want to do that, that we should avoid that we should not walk or stand or sit in the way of sinners or wickedness or the way of scoffers, and that we should delight in and meditate on the Word of the Lord, and all of that is going to lead us to be like a tree that is well watered, producing the fruit that is appropriate. That's what he's calling on us to go and experience. Joy and meaning and, and fulfillment is going to be the result, and that's awesome not to mention eternity with Jesus. But there's a temptation for those who are seeking to follow the ways of blessedness to read the second half of this about the wicked and have in our mindset sort of this, yeah, that's good. That's the way that it should be. The wicked should have to account for the things that they've done. There's so much wickedness that I'm having to put up with as one who's trying to pursue blessedness that they should get their just desserts. And yes, there should be a judgment that comes, and judgment is appropriate. But friends, you and I are not the ones who've been set up to establish that judgment. We've not been set up as the ones to carry that judgment out. That's for God to do, according to His sovereignty. 
from our standpoint, when we look at the second half of this psalm and we see the wicked, what that ought to do is cause our hearts to break. It ought to cause our mindset to be to see and to look at all of the people who surround us every day in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, or whatever, and recognize that they are the ones, if they are apart from Christ, who are being described here as the ones who have an outcome that we wouldn't desire for anybody to have, and that should shake us up. The fact that there are people heading for a Christless eternity shouldn't leave us satisfied. It should leave us terrified. And in a place where we can't help ourselves but to run after them and to help them to understand the parting of the ways and the two divergent paths, while there's opportunity for them to find the right one, we've just been talking in our last series about loving where we live. Friends, you can't love where you live if we're going to ignore the different paths that exist and not invite people to find the right one. The one that's oftentimes described and there is described in the Scriptures is the narrow path that leads to life over the wide path that leads to destruction. The psalmist is talking about the same thing. We need to be careful about what our response is when we read these verses, not, yeah, I'm, on the, I'm in verses 1 through 3, and yeah, verses 4 through 6, those people are getting what they deserve. It's not the mindset. Now, there's another takeaway that's essential that we would examine, that's to ask ourselves, which of these paths am I on? To ask yourself, which of these paths are, are you on? Don't just make assumptions based on what somebody told you once or what maybe some childhood confession was that you made or maybe that you do occasional good deeds. Now, those are all good things. I'm not taking away from those at all. But you need to ask yourself what present evidence is there of what's going on in my life, that I'm pursuing the way of blessedness, that I'm avoiding the way of Wickedness. You might say, well, how do I figure that out? What did verse 3 tell us? It told us what a blessed life would be looking life, like, what the life of someone who is following after the Lord would look like. It's being fed by the water of God's Word, and it's producing fruit. So it's important that we would do this examination and ask ourselves, what evidence is there in my life? And if there's not evidence, or if you're not really sure what it is, then I would encourage you to take a step to make yourself sure, to settle it for yourself once and for all, that you might be one walking in the way of blessedness for sure, that you would commit yourself to that path through the work of Christ to came so that we might have that life. And that's an opportunity that I would like to provide for all of us in this moment. So if you'd bow your head with me. If that's you in a situation where you take a look at your life and it's like, I'm, I'm just not sure there's really all that much fruit here. Or I know that my desire is not to delight in the word of the Lord. I don't meditate on His word. It's not something that's infusing every aspect and 
and corner of my life. Instead, rather, I can see myself with some regularity walking in the way of sinners and, and standing and, and sitting. And there's, there's evidence of, of this sin I'm sitting in and really without that much effort or desire to turn it in a different direction, maybe feeling a little bit guilty about it, but not doing anything. So there's, there's fruit that is being stunted from growing and, and not thriving like it might. If that's where you would consider yourself to be, then I want to urge upon you taking the step of, of faith, putting your trust in in the work of Jesus Christ so that you might have a change that takes place because it says that when we trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes in and dwells and He, and he moves us from inside to live that sort of life. And so if that's something that you're just not sure about but that you'd like to make certain here today, I'd invite you to pray a prayer like this just silently where you're at, where you're listening today. Dear God, I recognize that there is much too much of my life that is lived apart from you, that is not pursuing the blessed path, and I fear that I may be on the path that leads more toward and is marked more by wickedness or separation from you. So today I want to change that, and so I ask that you would Forgive that sin. Forgive me for walking in and standing in and sitting in my sin. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask out of the faith that you will provide. Lord, I want to transfer my trust from myself to you, to the work that Jesus has done on the cross that there might be the ability to walk the way of righteousness, the way of blessedness. So today, I come and ask that you would take control of my heart, of my life. I give myself over to you that I may walk in the way of blessedness in the moments that surround me on this earth and for all eternity. Change me. Make me your child, I pray. If that's been your prayer here today, then it is settled, sealed, and accomplished, and we rejoice with you. I would love to know of that. Last week we had the opportunity to see people make declaration of their faith by going through the waters of baptism. It's also important to make declaration of our faith and let it be known that we've put our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. And so if that's a prayer that you've prayed here, I would ask that you would let us know that on the Connect card, if you're in one of our in-person environments, that you would put on that card that you trusted Jesus today. And turn it in. Declare the fact that this has been something that you have done. If you're listening online today, we would encourage you to respond there on, on the website in one of the response 
ways than the response card or to text or to email just to let us know of the transition that's happened in your life. Lord, I'm so grateful for the fact that all it takes to walk in conformity with what Jesus has done for us is just a, a declaration of our desire and that you take care of the rest through your grace. And so in these moments, we come and we rest in your mercy, your love that reaches out to us, that gives us the opportunity to not get stuck on a path that is leading to destruction, but to walk the path that is leading to life. Lord, I pray too for my friends who, who are here and they have some confidence in the fact that they're on the right path, but they take a lot of steps off of it. And they're not delighting in your word. They're not meditating on your word. Lord, that you would convict us to walk more closely, that we too would walk the path you've called us to walk. Lord, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for the way that they speak to us, the way that they address life where we live it, the way that they're real, the way that they communicate to where we are, just as we've seen today. So Lord, I pray as we open these together with one another, that you'd continue to work in our hearts, that we'd be drawn more closely to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At Pathway, we want to be people who delight in the instruction of the Lord. The way of the Lord brings abundant life, and we want that for you too. As we continue to look into the Psalms in the coming weeks, we hope that you'll grow in your knowledge and love for His Word. Blessings on your week, and we'll see you next Sunday.